Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm EJ Dixon. Do you want to start with the cancellation of Shakespeare? Yeah, let's do it. Well, Shakespeare's canceled. I mean... The greatest playwright. R.I.P. him. <laughs> He's canceled for racism, sexism and misogynistic principles enforced in his book. I mean, sure, if I understood anything that was going on in any of them, I'm sure I would agree, but I simply do not comprehend old English. Did you read any of his plays in high school? Yeah, I mean, of course, like, they're all mandatory, but (laughs) don't know what any of them were about. I remember memorizing the Lady Macbeth monologue for school. Is this the dagger I see before me, handle to my hand? Come, let me clutch thee. Don't know what that's about. Is that the monologue where she says, I have given suck? Yes. (laughs) I love, we love that in high school. Yeah. When she says, I have given suck. Can't tell you what it's about. Don't know, don't care. But I'm sure he's canceled. Yeah, why not? Yeah, he's canceled. I mean, Um, from that time, definitely racist and sexist. Like, I don't need to read his plays to understand that, but go off. (laughs) He's also classist and guilty of misogynoir. Or racism against black women specifically. Okay, like, do you think he understood the concept of a black woman at that time? No, like, none of this is new information. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if he'd even seen a black woman at that time. Yeah, I would be shocked. I would be shocked if he had ever met a black person in his lifetime. This is the contention of this Twitter user named Aaliyah, who made a spreadsheet of canceled authors that went viral yesterday. Her tweet started out with problematic authors and reasons a thread. And would you like to hear some of the names? List them off. And their offenses because she has their offenses next to them. Okay, so Sylvia Plath, racist. YA author Veronica Roth, she wrote the Divergent series, romanticizes chronic pain. Interesting. Anne Rice attacks people's reviews. Okay. George R.R. R. Martin repeatedly mispronounced names at the Hugo Awards. Not that. <laughs> and William Burroughs, murderer. <laughs> I would say George R.R. R. Martin and William Burroughs are the same level of cancel. <laughs> yeah, I would say that. That's clearly, clearly equal. I mean, to to be fair, George R.R. R. Martin was very annoying when people were waiting for the... People are still waiting for the last book, I think. That's not a struggle I can relate to and don't care to understand more about. I don't I don't really read, actually. I should just admit that up front. And also, you're not a nerd. I'm not. So why would you care about... I'm not, like, the biggest... I don't... Like, I'm, I only read, like, romance books. I can only read books if they're kind of horny. I'm not, like, a reader. So I don't know. None of these people... They're not on my radar. I have a baseline level of familiarity with all of these people and their respective reasons for cancellation. I will say that. And it's true that he did murder something like much like Laura Bush. William Burroughs did kill someone. Add him to the list. He's on the list with Rebecca Gayhart, Laura Bush. Who else? Who else did you mention? Wait, who did Rebecca Gayhart murder? Oh, Rebecca Gayhart famously murdered. To be fair, like all of these are cases of manslaughter, just to be clear. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like these were accidental murderings. Yeah. Matthew Broderick, Laura Bush. Matthew Broderick, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. I think she ran over like a kid. It was like a bad, bad situation. But yeah, he shot his second wife, William Burroughs. It was an accident, but shot her. 
killed her, served two years of a suspended sentence for it, which must be nice to be a white man in 1951 killing their second wife. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. But still, putting murderer in the context of repeatedly mispronouncing someone's names at the Hugo Awards makes sense. Works works for me. I don't know how much of a Tumblr kid you were, but I mean, I think all of this stems back to your fave is problematic. Do you remember that Tumblr page? I vaguely do, yeah. So I think the root of all of our internet problems now, which is that what is defined as problematic, or we've talked about this a lot, the loss of definitions of words as they sort of become part of like internet consciousness, like people just sort of broaden the definitions of things. And so your favorite problematic basically was, I think it was just like one, one kid ran it and basically they would do a different celebrity and they would just like list out all the reasons why they're problematic. Things they said in interviews, like things they did. And it was a wide range. It would go from like, it would be like similar to this where it'd be like, they mispronounced this name or this person wore blackface repeatedly. Like it was just like, they put these people on the same sort of level. Level constantly where it was like right. all these people are problematic but the reasons why they're problematic are such varying levels of degree just like real just like bottom of the barrel reasons to like actual sort of this person like is a rapist and they would put them on the same tumblr blog with no sort of spectrum of the idea that like one of those things is really bad and the other thing is like that sucked for a moment but we could move on from that it sucks right because like i feel like this kind of thing that you're talking about like sort of taking these two extremely disparate offenses and collapsing the context and putting them on the same level like that's what's fueling the right-wing panic over cancel culture yeah it's really just like the idea of human fallibility not having a full spectrum like it's like there's yeah. there's people who are who say dumb things in interviews or tweet dumb things or bad jokes or whatever that's one thing but then there's like people who do like who are like anti-semitic or really racist those things are bad like those things are legitimately like pattern behavior there's a huge difference between that and i don't think people really want to look at it as a scale so that's why we get documents like this where everyone's kind of being compared to one another for wildly disparate reasons yeah romanticizes chronic pain murdering yeah. All the same. Thing. Attacks reviews. Yes, that is on the same <laughs> level as blackface. Absolutely. 100%. I have mixed feelings about this because, I mean, this list got very widely roasted. And I have to say, like, I sent it to almost everyone I know and I was laughing very hard, like, reading a lot of these. Like, it was justifiably roasted for the reasons that we've discussed. Like, it's also just such online behavior. Like, people were saying, go touch grass. Like, well, do we know off. the person who made it? Like, are they young? Are they a, a younger person? That's what I was going to say. They're 20, according to their bio. I mean, it's a woman of color and she's 20 years old. And she has sort of since like she removed the tweet and then she I think she put it back up and she's doubled and she said like people are who are criticizing this are racist, basically, which I don't think is true. Although I bet people I bet people did have insane reactions to this. But like it is very much worth criticizing like when somebody does shit like this for the reasons that we just discussed. But I also have mixed feelings about it. The thing is that like. A lot of the stuff on here, like, I don't disagree with it. Like, I think and it's and it's important to point out, like, a lot of these things, like, I think people should know that Roel Dahl was a rabid anti-Semite. Like, that's well documented. And his works are still widely read. And his views on women, on black people, on Jews, like, they should impact your reading of the work. That kind of awareness is very important. But I also, yeah, I think it's really, I think the definition of what is problematic or cancelable offenses needs to be narrower. Like it really needs to be like, 
you need to be more selective when you're making a list like this. You got to be like, okay, this person, make a multiple tabbed Excel spreadsheet. Get really into making very organized Excel tabs. Like one is like just common shitty behavior, annoying people and like actual demons. Yeah, exactly. I think it should be sort of standard in our culture for us to start categorizing people accordingly. And it's something that a lot of people who have been, I remember that being a really prominent discussion during the Me Too movement because there were a lot of people like Louis C.K. or like Aziz Ansari, for instance, who did who did shitty things and should have been called out for them. But their defenders would point out, this is not Harvey Weinstein. This is not Kevin Spacey. This is not like a somebody who is preying on their victims like en masse. And on one hand, that's true. There is a distinction between those two classes of behavior. But on the other hand, like just because someone is not Harvey Weinstein doesn't mean that they shouldn't be called out for being a piece of shit. In all those cases, it was men in power. No matter, it was a power dynamic. There was a, exactly. a clear power exactly. thing going on between them and the people who had accused them of heinous acts. I think just you got to be reasonable and you have to make sort of a, a sliding scale of how people are fallible, but also shitty in their own ways. Because everyone's shitty in their own way. Everyone's got shitty behavior. Everyone has, a what was the phrase last week, an ugly spirit? Yeah, everyone has an ugly spirit. That happens. But like some people are, have uglier spirits than others. I also object to the idea that such offenses like can be a cataloged in spreadsheet form for clout because she was very much like people should spread this. And also like that they diminish the value of the works themselves. Like it's just a hilariously chronically online perspective. And it reminds me a lot, Brittany, of when we talked about a couple of weeks ago, how the teens were canceling Elvis for cultural appropriation. Like <laughs> these are not new conversations, like the conversations about Shakespeare and race for instance, although as we have established, he probably did not know what a black woman was. Like, I mean, he he wrote about black people and he wrote about Jews. He probably thought he made up black people in his mind, to be honest. I really, I would love to see proof <laughs> that Shakespeare had ever met a black person. You think he just like picked a bad flower one day and like cooked it in his little yeah. stew and like trip balls and just like invented <laughs> black people and Jews? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I think that's fairly likely. I mean, I think the thing that also kind of gets removed from these conversations are like, Shakespeare is not writing in 2022. Like, it's just, he was writing in a much different era. Like, it's <laughs> it's not the same thing. Like, you have to take that into account when you're reading anything from any era. It's like, what were the kind of general politics and the way that people interact with one another then? Like, what was kind of, you have to take that into account because it's like a historical artifact in that way. Like, it's supposed to be a reflection of this time and you take into account and you criticize from there. Yeah, that's not taken into account at all here because there's no like literacy <laughs> i say as a person who doesn't read books but i did read books at one point <laughs> in my life <laughs> when you learn those books and you're taught those books you are very much taught about the fact that this existed at this time this is how the world was shaped at that time and you take it as that and you criticize it thereof and you're able to separate the fact that it was not written in the year that you're reading it you know what's really funny to me also is that lolita is not on here <laughs> Shocking. Like possibly, possibly the most controversial work of the last 20th century, like literally a 300 page like PowerPoint presentation on a pedophile. It's a great book. Like I'm not saying it shouldn't be taught, but like if you're going to cancel, if you're going to go out of your way to cancel any book written in the past yeah. 100 years, like why would you cancel the author of Captain Underpants, who is also on this list? I feel bad for this woman in, in a way because, like, she had to lock her account down. She was getting a lot of hate for it. But, like, I don't know. Like, we were all 20. Like, everybody tries to cancel people when they're 20. I think especially 
when you're really young and you're trying to figure out kind of what your moral code is, right? And trying to figure out how that translates to the things that you enjoy. So I've thought about that a lot with music. Like, what's my moral code with music? A lot of classic rock that I grew up loving is made by men Mm -hmm. who were full-on pedophiles. And that's just a thing that I have to take into account when I listen to a lot of that music. So you're trying to understand what your moral code and what your limitations are and like what it means to engage with this art, especially if you're a young like woman of color and you're reading books by people who have really horrid depictions of women, of Black people, of Black women. Like, of course, you're taking that into account. But again, there's a huge difference between a lot of these and it's worth sort of being better at scaling all these offenses because mispronouncing names, again, it's annoying, just basic, run-of-the-mill shitty behavior we can move on from it it's not killing your second wife yeah it simply is not but she'll learn i once wrote an op-ed trying to cancel unbreakable kimmy schmidt and i was a lot older than 20 (laughs) and i'm still embarrassed by that i would love to scrub that from the internet it happens we've all been there she'll learn speaking of cancelable offenses let's talk about this is a true cancelable Let's talk about 29 by Demi Lovato. So before we start talking about this, I just need to preface that I am really like, I'm a 2000s Disney kid stan. Like I really am following closely with all of their careers. I support all of them. I It's just like, it's truly an affliction that I have where I just care a little bit too much about all this. And Demi Lovato is someone that I've been rooting for for years. Like I just want to see Demi Lovato win. Like I want to see success for them. And I also think that they've made a lot of bad career decisions, but that's not, I'm not Demi's manager. I'm not in charge of Demi's career, but maybe... Maybe I should be. So when I heard that Demi, who, by the way, now uses she, her pronouns along with they, them, I'll probably be going back and forth between all of those, was making a hard rock album. I was unbelievable, unbelievably excited. Like she was li- literally in the studio with Turnstile. Like it's just like there was a lot going on. And she was kind of a rock girl when she started out, too. So this was kind of going back to her roots. Who could forget about Get Back? could forget about Camp Who Rock. Who could forget about Camp Rock? It's in the name. So <laughs> in the run-up to releasing Holy Fuck last Friday, Demi teased a new song called 29 on Instagram. The song is a slow build to some serious tea beans builds, so just listen to the chorus. Finally 29, funny just like you. I mean, it's pretty iconic. Pretty iconic. So who was she referring to? So fans were very, very quick to point out that the only person who was 29 when Demi was 17 that she publicly dated was none other than her ex-boyfriend of six years, Wilmer Valderrama. They were together through a lot of Demi's early issues with drug and alcohol abuse. And Wilmer was very often painted by the press and by Demi themselves as the perfect partner and support as they sought treatment. And so there was a lot of kind of this idea that Wilmer was like this grounding presence in Demi's really chaotic personal life. And that was kind of the way that, again, Demi had also sort of talked about him after their breakup too. So there was a lot of discussion. This is, it was very surprising for fans to hear the song because she had only painted him in a positive light for many years during and after their breakup. So as soon as that chorus was out, it became an instant hit on TikTok. First off, fans were really proud of Demi for talking about this and pointing out that as she's gotten older, she sort of had a change of mind in terms of how she looks at that relationship. And many young people also reflected on the age gap relationships that they had been in when they were teenagers. 
Many had turned the age of their older partners by this point, 24, 29, 30s, whatever, and were now understanding the underlying power dynamic issues, and in many cases, coercion and grooming that they had experienced under the guise of feeling like they had found true love. Of course, every single situation was very different that they used. You can see many of these videos under the 29 by Demi Lovato tag. Bravely, many who have participated in the trend share photos of their much older exes as well as receipts on the relationship, including photos of them together, texts, or changed Facebook relationship statuses, kind of showing the development of these relationships. And Demi also talked about this a bit and said that she wrote 29 after celebrating her own 29th birthday last year which allowed her to put her teenage relationship with someone 12 years her senior into perspective. By the end of the song, Demi sings, 17 would never cross my mind, which was kind of the the moment that she realized that this was not an okay age gap or situation. And it was a similar sentiment shared by the other people who were sharing their own stories under the 29 sound, where they were like, if I were 24, I now that I'm 24, I would simply never look at a 15-year-old in a sexual way. Why was it okay for my ex at that time to do that. So even if the song is inexplicably not about Wilmer, the That 70s Show actor sure does love barely legal teenagers. That is very, he went public with a lot of teenagers in his 20s. He dated Lindsay Lohan when she was newly 18 and he was 24, though there's speculation they had started dating earlier. There's a lot of photos of them together when she was 17, but they only made it public and official after she had turned 18. He met Mandy Moore when she was just 15 years old and he was 19, 20 years old around that time. The pair dated for a couple years and he would go on to tell Howard Stern that he took her virginity, which is just like a really, I mean, gross thing regardless, but also weird flex to have. So she also denies that story. There's also rumors that he had dated Misha Barton. They had been spotted together a lot. I couldn't find any official confirmation that they actually dated, but she would have been 17 around the time too that they had dated. That's the thing about this to me is if this was an isolated incident, like it's bad. I mean, she was, Demi was underage. So like it's, it's bad. But like he made this such a pattern and so flagrantly for literal decades. And it's not secret. Like all of these are on the record. It's not rumors that we're talking about other than Misha Barton is the only one that's rumored. Like him and Lindsay were engaged. Like it was very normalized then. And EJ and I were talking about this the other day about all those weird relationships that happened in the early 2000s. There was Joel Madden and Hillary Duff who dated when Hillary Duff was 16. And I think he was also in his late 20s at that. He was definitely over the age of 25 at that point. I think he was in around like 27, 28 when they dated. And it was just normalized. Like people were just dating teenagers publicly, like on the record, going to events together, holding hands, kissing in public. Like it wasn't just rumors, like full on public dating teenagers. We've talked about this, like in, in our personal lives, like it was basically considered like a sign that you had clout or that you were considered like one of the hot girls in high school if you were dating somebody that was significantly older than you. Like every hot girl our freshman year was dating a senior. And that's an age difference of like five years. You're like 14 and like 19 in some cases. That's A, illegal. And B, like (laughs) when you're 14, like you're not psychologically equipped to like to engage in that dynamic with somebody who's that much older than you. That was definitely a big thing at my high school. And I remember the point that I like became like a senior in high school. And I remember thinking about it a lot. And I was just like, like I saw like the freshman. I was like, these are children. Like who was dating? Like why were my friends dating guys who were seniors in high school or like freshmen in college, like looking at a 14 year old, like that's a child, like that's a baby. Like they were all like, they looked so young. And I'm like, how is this? So like, how? what goes through your brain where you're like, this is totally 
fun and normal. I don't understand it. Like even like I'm 39. Like I like if I date someone who's even 20, like I'm like, what am I going to do with someone who's under 21? Like what? That's weird. That's a child. I don't know what to talk about with people who are 30. You know what the entire like 2011 Nickelodeon lineup was. And I don't like we have nothing in common. Like what's our common ground here? I mean, I'm sure that somebody like Andrew Tate could explain the appeal to us. I'm sure. (laughs) But it's not something I understand. <laughs> Have you seen that trend? I think it's a lot of like bartenders are are doing it where a lot of female bartenders where someone had posted a video. I don't think I've even seen the original video where they were just like they got more tips putting their hair in pigtails and they noticed a huge difference. And so all these bartenders were testing it out and like some strippers were testing it out too. They were like, what if I put my hair in pigtails? Like, do I get more tips? And they all did. They all were like, my tips like doubled or tripled. Men need to fucking go to therapy. That's really what it comes down to. I know. It's so gross. Like they all were so disgusted after they were like, I don't want to do this again. Like they're just like, I feel really gross that I did that. And then it was successful. There has been a lot of discourse in the anti-porn movement, actually like fairly recently about like the barely legal genre. It's a fairly common and popular genre in porn for directors to hire actors who are of age. I mean, they could be as old as like in their late 20s, early 30s, but will pretend that they just turned 18 and will put them in like pigtails or give them braces or something in order to sort of appeal to that market. And there's a lot of discussion over like whether or not this should be legal or whether or not this is okay. And I'm just sitting here like, why are we not talking about the fact that there's a market for this? Clearly, the porn world is like profiting off this market and you can think whatever you want about that. But isn't the real villain here the guys who are like seeking out barely legal porn to begin with? Yeah, it's gross. Put them on a watch really list. Fucking gross. It's so gross. And I mean, right now, Wilmer Valderrama is in a relationship with someone who is not a teenager, but is also similar to the age gap between him and Demi, 12 years younger than him. And Of course, it's less questionable now. That is a fairly normal age gap if you're over the age of 25 to date someone a little bit older. But Demi alludes to it on 29 as well, singing, I see you're quite the collector. Yeah, you're 12 years her elder. Maybe now it doesn't matter, but I know fucking better, which is just a real bar. And good for Demi for having this realization and also good on everyone sort of similarly having these like epiphanies as they turn the age of someone who of the much older exes they had. And again, how did all these guys get away with this to the 2000s? Like, how did we just move on from this? But well, it's still happening. Dane Cook is currently getting away with it. Still happening. He just got engaged to his fiance, who is, I think, 23. So she's of age, but they have been dating since like basically publicly dating since the moment she turned 18. Yeah. And there was photos of her attending a game night at his house when she was 17. Yeah. And apparently this was like people are doing some digging and they're finding like this was a trend that he would invite like very young underage girls to these game nights. And it's just like, first of all, why would any 17 year old girl want to fuck Dane Cook? who was relevant 20 years ago. Okay, I get, again, I understand the appeal of, like, wanting to, like, sort of just date someone rich and have everything taken care of. But Dane Cook, he's not even that successful anymore. What does he do? He's not. His career is that he voiced the lead character in Planes, in the movie Planes, the Pixar ripoff. Sure. Planes. Like, I mean, it's just like, what what celebrity clout do I get from dating? dating? Nothing. No, you don't get any clout. You do get the Planes money. Yeah. And, but I don't think the Planes money is, the Planes residuals are that significant. I mean, the point is like, it's still happening. It's still happening like under our nose. It's maybe perhaps not as blatant. Like people aren't, Wilmer Valderrama and Mandy Moore were like a tabloid mainstay. Like that's not really happening anymore. Yeah. Again, like Mandy Moore was like 15, 16, which is really 
Like, it's just like so young. Like, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. When I was 15, I was barely functioning. I know how to do my hair. I probably smelled. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the Joe's Brothers like a little too much. Like, what was someone going to do with that? Yeah, I mean, just bringing it back to Lolita, like the main thing that I remember about Lolita is him talking about how much she smelled. <laughs> like how bad she smelled because she was like 12 years old and like everybody around that age is like awkward and gross and like they do really weird things. Like I wore mini ears to get attention like at school for like a full semester when I was in ninth grade. Like why would you fuck someone who did that? I wore rectangular transition glasses. Why would why would you fuck people who do weird shit like that? Like and who smell on top of all that? Grow up, men. Grow up. <laughs> this is a good transition to straight people this week. So let's do straight people. Straight people. Let's do straight people where we discuss heterosexual nonsense. So Zach Braff and Florence Pugh, they began dating in 2019 when they met on the set of a short film he directed. She was 23. He was 44. In a new interview with Harper's Bazaar, she revealed that they had quietly parted ways earlier this year. She told the magazine, We've been trying to do the separation without the world knowing because it's been a relationship that everybody has an opinion on. We just felt something like this would really do us the benefit of not having millions of people telling us how happy they are that we're not together. So we've done that. I automatically get a lumpy throat when I talk about it. So the pair's relationship had been under intense scrutiny from Florence's stands. Over the course of the relationship since 2019, she's become very, very famous. She's become the Hollywood it girl. And it happened around the same time they started dating. She was in Midsommar, Little Women, and now she has a Marvel contract. So, of course, that's given her a significant boost. She's one of the few young actors who have pop star-like fandoms. She really has like a very, very intense fandom that surrounds her. She's so cool. She's cool. That's she's, why, because she just like seems genuinely cool. Yeah, and it's like there's a and that type of fandom around actors only exists for a very small sect of actors, and that's like her, Timothy Chalamet, like Saoirse Ronan has that Zendaya. Like there's like a very small pool of A-list actors that have that type of fandom around them. She's also very young and she's active on social media, specifically Instagram. She interacts with her fans. She did a lot of Instagram lives during the pandemic where she was cooking stuff. Like she's very interactive in that way. And during the early months of the pandemic in 2020, Florence would post often with and about Zach. She also did like a birthday post about him that got a lot of attention. All these posts got a lot of attention. People would often flood her comments writing about how gross he was for dating someone 21 years his younger and just telling Florence to dump him, just people really hating on Zach, lots of puke emojis, things like that. She eventually released a statement on Instagram telling everyone to stop being mean to her boyfriend and stop posting him altogether. On Monday, I posted a photo in honor of Zach's birthday and I wrote a birthday message underneath. Within about eight minutes of the photo being posted, I had about 70% of the comments hurling abuse and being horrid and uh, basically bullying someone on my page. It is the first time in my entire Instagram life that I have had to turn off the comments on my page. I get why she was annoyed. She's an adult woman and can date whoever she wants. I don't think age gaps are bad all the time. Like I think that's generally normal once you're in your 20s to date people who are older. That happens and it's only bad, again, if you're an adult dating a teenager that is weird and gross, seek help. But it's just that Zach Braff sucks. He's just, I don't like scrubs. I don't like his face. I don't care for him. Garden State is a terrible movie. He just sucks. There's a sect of people who are our age who are just like, this guy, 
really? Zach Braff? I don't think any cultural artifact has really undergone the revisionist process nearly as much as Garden State has. <laughs> like, I remember there was a point in like the early 2000s when Zach Braff was like the he was like the second coming of Woody Allen, which is also like another comparison that speaks to how much the culture has progressed. But he was like he was considered an auteur, like an indie guy, like somebody with a lot of credibility, like that the movie was really like introspective and thoughtful. And then you watch it now and you're like, okay, I see what happened here. Like, he made this movie so he could try to fuck Natalie Portman. And that's basically, like, the premise of the entire movie is like, oh, this guy really, really, really wants to fuck Natalie Portman. Which is fair, because who A, who doesn't? And B, like, there are people with a lot more artistic credibility than Zach Braff, such as Jonathan Saffron Foer, who literally has, like, written articles for the New York Times under that same pretense. Like, oh, I, I'm just doing this to fuck Natalie Portman. So, like, I understand that. But shortly thereafter, like sort of as the culture progressed and we became like aware of like the manic pixie dream girl trope, which Natalie Portman's character in that movie very much embodies, people started looking at Zach Braff like more askance. So he's just like, I don't know, when they started dating, it was just like, it was like Dane Cook. It was like why that hot girl dated Dane Cook. Like why? To give like a, a picture of his career right now too, it's like over the course of Garden State blowing up, he was on Scrubs, which was a pretty successful sitcom. And like now he's like, hosting a like recap podcast about scrubs or was hosting one i I don't know if they still do it but like that's he's kind of doing the nostalgia tour maybe he's cool i know there has to be something that she saw in him there has to be there has to be maybe he gives like a lot of money to planned parenthood i don't know like maybe there's something we don't know we don't know but i want to know what it is like she should have told us yeah so i mean much like wilmer in a, a weird sort of strange thing like that he does have a notorious dating history especially with dating people much younger than himself of course not on the same level as Wilmer to be very clear he was 29 when he dated 20 year old Mandy Moore which I think also gave people a little bit more pause after the Wilmer Mandy relationship he's 34 when he dated his then 22 year old model ex Taylor Bagley none of these again are worth side eyeing but I think it's always a little suspicious when a middle-aged dude gets older and his girlfriends remain around the same age like live out your days in confused fantasy elsewhere because that's just you're like 44 46 now or something i don't know it's legal but it's weird it's like people who don't wear shoes on the subway it's like why are like me technically this is okay but like why are you doing this like leonardo DiCaprio, who we've talked about like it's a weird pattern that's worth noting it's not illegal it's not bad it's just a weird pattern that if you are pushing 50 and your girlfriends are early 20s consistently it's weird man get a new hobby <laughs> anything take up chess yeah just do anything else maybe don't date only women in their early 20s who's she dating now is she dating anyone now so i mean she was rumored to date will poulter we had talked about that that was like the photos that had come out we talked about this i don't know when this was like two months ago in an episode where she had been spotted in ibiza with will poulter who's her co-star amit samar there's no one she's rumored to be dating now though i don't, no one knew about this breakup we had guessed that it happened we actually were pretty on top of it i would say we always are <laughs> i mean we are but like when those will poulter photos came out we had sort of we both speculated that her and zach were over because she had not done anything posting about him in a really long time so i don't know there's no there's no rumors i i think she needs to date someone cool and hot like her zach braff is not it but i'm sure there's a lot of love shared so i do i wish them well on their journey but she should date someone cool and hot just an extension of this segment with straight people gay edition we spend a lot of time mocking straight people on here but unfortunately both Brittany and i date men so in many ways we are just as responsible for the sins of heterosexuals as anyone else we're part of the problem. We're not part of the solution. And at no point this week did I feel this more acutely 
than in trying to navigate the TikTok lesbian breakup drama that has gone down over the past few weeks. I did watch this video of someone made a really good chart breaking it down. It did not really elucidate anything for me. It was more confusing. I was left more confused than before. It was like somebody trying to explain geometry to me. But Brittany understands it perfectly. This type of drama is very good for when you are up too late one night and you're like, let me learn everything about this video I just watched. And that is how I've learned everything about all these, most of these couples that we are going to talk about. I was watching every video. I was reading interviews. I was deep in Instagram, just really deep in Instagram. It was a good use of my midnight to 1 a.m. time. So we will allow our special guest, cultural reporter Morgan Sung of NBC News to sort of unpack this for us. Morgan is a really great internet culture reporter. She broke the story about the TikTok feet pics advertising scam that we discussed a few months ago on here, which we can link to. She did also a really good story on Andrew Tate this week, who we discussed last week. And she has been following what she refers to as the TikTok lesbian breakup apocalypse quite closely this summer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So what is going on with lesbians on TikTok this summer? (laughs) Okay, so there is a supposed lesbian breakup curse going on this summer. Um, And it started after Fletcher released her new song, which is about her ex-girlfriend's current girlfriend. The lore behind that led to that breakup goes even deeper. Like that goes all the way to like the great lesbian breakups of 2016 YouTube couples, (laughs) which truly shook young people on the internet. Okay, so let's start there. (laughs) Let's go back six years to the lesbian YouTuber breakups. Can you describe what the roots of this are? Yeah, and give us some of the key players (laughs) that we should should know. Okay, so back in the early 2010s, there were these lesbian YouTuber power couples, and their whole thing was making content about their relationship, making content about, like, queer representation. Two of the people involved, their names are Cammie and Shannon. And so Cammie and Shannon Shannon dated forever. And then they seemed like they were really strong. And then in 2016, they posted a classic We're Breaking Up video, which, you know, shocked their viewers. And they were sort of one of many couples, many lesbian couples that broke up on YouTube very publicly from 2013 to 2016. So basically, we broke up. <laughs> as much as we love wholeheartedly each other and want the absolute best for each other the most important part 
of life is self-happiness. And there's really, I don't know what, if there's any official explanation for it. I don't know what the stars were up to and what planets were in, in alignment. But for some reason, all these couples broke up around the same time. So fast forward to 2020, Fletcher, who's a musical artist, released an album called The Sex Tapes about her ex-girlfriend, Shannon, the YouTuber. They didn't really say how long they dated for, but it's assumed for about four years. And basically they broke up and quarantined together. And then during quarantine, they worked on this album together about their like relationship and their breakup. And then this year, Fletcher released a song called Becky So Hot about Shannon's current girlfriend, Becky Missile, I think. She said that she asked that she wrote the song because she was scrolling on Instagram and accidentally liked a picture of Becky and then wrote this whole song about how like she's jealous and Becky is super hot and she like Becky's wearing the same vintage t-shirt that she used to wear. So it sort of launched this whole gossip train on TikTok of like people saying like, this is so fun. It's so messy, normalize being this messy. And then other people being like, this is really, really bad. Like you should not be directly naming your ex's current girlfriend like that in a song. So that's how it started is people are joking that Fletcher cast a curse on all healthy re lesbian relationships yeah, by releasing the song. Yeah, there was so much different kinds of discourse, as you mentioned, about Becky yeah. So Hot and the ethics behind it and whether or not it's a huge PR stunt. Of course, Becky and Shannon started to sell their own Becky So Hot merch soon after. So people were wondering if it's all just like one big stunt to promote the song, which I think is like honestly a pretty good song. So where, where do you kind of stand on is this a PR stunt? And also, do you think this was unethical for Fletcher to have released a song that literally names Becky. You know what? I think people write songs about their exes all the time. I do think it is a bit of an overstep, you know, to directly name Becky. It's kind of a funny story, but also like it puts so much attention on Becky, who just seems like this woman who never really asked for it. And Shannon did come out and say that like she wasn't part of it. She didn't collaborate on this at all. Like she it's not a PR. She, that's what she says, that it's not a PR stunt because she was never given like any heads up that Fletcher was re releasing the song. Personally, I could totally see why people are leaning on the more cynical side and saying like, it's a PR stunt, but I wholeheartedly believe in people being messy. And I, I really love the idea of her being that messy and like that sort of, uh, I don't want to say like disregarding of Becky's privacy, but that petty almost. How does Becky specifically feel about it? Does she feel like violated? I mean, she and Shannon have both said like that they were never asked permission or like that they never gave their consent to be part of the song. But then again, they're also selling their own merch. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like they're capitalizing off of it, too. So, yeah. OK, so they're sort of like the er TikTok mm -hmm. lesbian breakup of the summer. Can you walk us through who Sedona and Riley are? <laughs> yes. Um, OK, so. A few weeks after the song, a whole bunch of very popular lesbian couples started breaking up. And this is when people started blaming the breakups on the curse. It was when like three or four major couples started breaking up. So Sedona and Riley are a couple who've been dating for about a year and a half, I think. Their whole brand was 
Sedona being really tall and uh, <laughs> Riley being really short. Like that was their whole brand. Like Sedona's a college basketball player and Riley is like 4'10 or something. And like, for some reason, like they, they started dating and then they kind of just ran with it. <laughs> like people were like, oh my God, this tall one and the short one. And that's what they, be- they became known for, the tall one and the short one. Um, so apparently Riley recently moved cross country to Oregon to move in with Sedona. And about a month or or two months after they moved in together, they posted a classic breakup video on TikTok where they said that, you know, their breakup was mutual and like they asked for privacy and they were like, we still have a lot of love for each other. You know, the classic run of the mill breakup video. A few days later, though, people started accusing Sedona of cheating on Riley and basically like through like comments uh, left on other people's videos, through like Snapchats that Sedona posted and then deleted really quickly. It's just gotten really messy where people are accusing Sedona of cheating and then of Riley of cheating first or of like Riley having an emotional affair and Sedona cheating on her physically. It's just really, you know, like really just tangled up. Um, But people are eating it up, eating up the drama. And they were kind of one of the first couples to break up um, in like... I think they posted their video on like July 31st and then two other couples broke up the next week. Yeah. And are those two other couples you're referring to related to Jojo Siwa and the the mukbang scene around (laughs) the world? (laughs) Oh, Jojo Siwa and her on and off girlfriend, Kylie Prue, broke up. So they got together in 2021 broke up at the end of the year, and then this year got back together in May. Apparently, JoJo's thing is taking girls to Disneyland. Like, that's when it's, like, official, (laughs) is when she takes girls to Disneyland. That's a great thing, honestly. She and Kylie went to to Disneyland. They, They seemed like they were official again in May. But apparently, they broke up again. Kylie has has said that she's been single for two months. So it seems like they only dated for, like, a month or so. And... Meanwhile, while all this was going on, to another TikTok couple, Avery and Soph broke up in like the first week of August, which again, really shook fans because they seemed like they were really solid. <laughs> so Avery and Soph broke up and they, they posted like very separate Instagram-like stories announcing the breakup and people were pointing out like one seemed more sad, one seemed more genuine, you know, like kind of pulling apart the statements that these people po- like posted on Instagram. And then, like, last week or so, Avery and JoJo posted a mukbang together. A mukbang is, like, it's a South Korean YouTube video trend where people just eat a lot of food on camera while talking. And everyone was sort of in shock. And then JoJo and Avery were seen at Disneyland together. So it's messy. <laughs> I think we also have to explain the the blue kiss, too. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, where do I even start? So in the mukbang, <laughs> Jojo was seen with a blue mark on her cheek. <laughs> and Avery was eating something blue and apparently had a blue tongue and like blue lips. And so people were like, is that a kiss on her cheek? Was that blue mark like proof of some sort of sour raspberry kiss? Do you have an opinion on that? I love the way that like the internet approaches sort of picking apart relationships and like social interactions the way like you would with a true crime sort of scene. People were really going like full forensic analysis on this. I could see it. Yeah, I could see it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess my main question is like, why has all of this 
captured people's attention to this degree? Like, why are people going all true crime on this? Well, I don't know if you've seen the L word, but <laughs> the <laughs> I have a joke about this sort of like web <laughs> of everyone having these interconnected relationships and like every like sapphic person in LA having an ex who's an ex's ex. And it's just fun to see that sort of thing play out in real life, especially on such a public forum. I think people are also so fascinated by it because like, since like those two couples started breaking up and then another couple, uh, Sam and Alyssa also broke up after like running a YouTube together for four years. And like, they just deleted their entire YouTube channel together, which is wild. But after like, all these public couples started breaking up. People started saying like, hey, my girlfriend just dumped me. <laughs> or like, I, or like my situationship just like ghosted me. Like what's going on right now? And it seems like there's this really unfortunate coincidence of these public couples breaking up and then like people experiencing heartbreak in their personal lives and sort of projecting that onto these creators who, you know, are, it's like, it could be poor timing. It could be like, I don't know, the curse that Fletcher cast, or it could be <laughs> astrology, but it's just like everything is happening at once. And it's sort of like justifying the personal heartbreak that people are going through. Thank you so much. Yeah, I know. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> this was awesome. I could listen to you talk about this forever. <laughs> Look, I considered having a whiteboard and like all my little strings and like, you know. <laughs> oh my God. That would have been so funny. Just like Carrie Mathis in it. <laughs> the answers can be found in the MTV video games. So let's do Moral Panic, the segment where we talk about the latest stupid thing that people on the internet are wetting their diapers over. I don't know if this really qualifies as a moral panic. It's more just like a very sad and stupid thing. But the actress Anne Heche passed away at the age of 53. She crashed her car into a house in her neighborhood in L.A. Blood tests showed that she reportedly had drugs in her system. We don't have a full autopsy, but we know that. It's a very, very sad story. And I want to go into a little bit about who Anne Heche was because I feel like she touches on a lot of the themes that we've discussed here. She has had an absolutely fascinating life. She was best known for her high-profile relationship with Ellen DeGeneres in the late 90s. This was very shortly after Ellen came out, Ellen famously being one of the very, very few out celebrities in the late 90s. So the press scrutinized this relationship incredibly heavily. If you are a Gen Xer or a millennial of a certain age, this is probably your first introduction to Anne Heche. Even though she had a really good career up to that point, she had a great murder in I Know What You Did Last Summer, which I had totally forgotten about. And she was in, when they had made their debut, it was at the premiere of a really big rom-com she did with Harrison Ford. She was really like primed to be the next big star in Hollywood. But that relationship did not really set her up for that because there was a lot of homophobia in Hollywood at the time. And I would say it hurt her far more than it hurt Ellen DeGeneres. And after they break up, the other thing that really hurt her career was she gave an interview to Barbara Walters where she was extremely candid about her mental health issues. But the one thing that she spoke about that everybody sort of jumped on was inhabiting the persona of an alien named Celestia, which went viral. I called my other personality Celestia. I called the other world that I created for myself the fourth dimension. I believed I was from that world. I believed I was from another planet. I think I was insane. She was a laughing stock, basically, from that. That colored a lot of how I had thought about her. Like, that was, like, a lot of jokes about Anne Heche and aliens was a big part of it. She was, like, 
fodder for like David Letterman monologues, basically, from that point forward. And she really like she struggled with mental illness throughout her life. She also struggled with addiction. And there was this big news story in the early 2000s where she showed up at someone's house in L.A. and she took a shower and she said she was God. She later claimed to have been on ecstasy at the time. She was very open about these struggles. Like she wrote in her memoir and she spoke very candidly about having been molested by her father, who was a closeted gay man who died of AIDS when she was young. Her siblings died really tragically. And her mom is very, very homophobic, too. Her mom is very much sort of, I think, like a proponent of conversion just because of her husband who passed. Yeah, I mean, her mom denies all of this. Like, and she was estranged from her family at the time that she died. I think she only had one living sibling. Like, she had a really, really tragic life. But somehow, despite all this, she managed to book. Like, she, I don't know if you watched Hung, the HBO show. I didn't watch Hung, but I watched Men in Trees, and I loved Men in Trees. She was fucking great in both of those shows. She was a really good actress. She had a very, like, old-school Hollywood-leading lady quality at the beginning of her career. And then she sort of, as a lot of very talented actors do, like, kind of evolved into more of a character character actor. She could play quirky and neurotic really well, but she never really got full credit for her ability because of how open she was about her mental illness and her personal problems. And also, like, there was a lot of biphobia against her, too, that happened in her career, I think, before people actually really labeled it as such, because after her and Ellen broke up, of course, again, that being such a controversial part of it, she soon after married a man and had children with a man, like people were very weird and sort of erased a lot of her sexuality in talking about her. Yeah, that's a good point. People were very weird about that. People were like, she was doing it for attention, which is like the classic biophobic line. Yeah. Even though like it was it was much more harmful to her because people were she alleged that execs threatened her when she said she was coming to the premiere of a movie with Ellen. I mean, now to add insult to injury, like she has now become the subject of a bunch of wildly stupid conspiracy theories about her death. The first one that I started seeing is for some reason related to Jeffrey Epstein. And this is because one of the last movies she was working on before she died is called Girl in Room 13, which is a Lifetime movie that is actually going to be released in October. This tweet starts going around. It had about 4,000 shares before it was deleted. And it reads, actress Anne Hayes, who died in a fiery car crash, was working on a movie titled The Girl in Room 13 about the Jeffrey Epstein ring. The movie's not about Jeffrey Epstein. The movie, a Lifetime spokesperson has confirmed that. It, it The movie is about sex trafficking. That is true. It is about a woman being held captive in a hotel room for the purposes of sex trafficking. And like every single Lifetime movie that's ever been made, they say it's linked to true events, but it doesn't specify anything about Epstein. Obviously, sex trafficking, not every sex trafficking case has to do with Epstein. And it isn't at all clear from the trailer that that's the case. But this isn't the only rumor. QAnon influencer Liz Crokin also did some sleuthing, meaning she looked at Anne Heche's Wikipedia page, which anyone can do, and found another project that she was working on, which is the HBO show The Idol, which is produced by The Weeknd and is rumored to be inspired by Britney Spears. And Liz Crokin has like really, as have a lot of QAnon believers, like really taken up the cause of Britney Spears. But she doesn't really leave it at that. Like she goes on to say that Anne reportedly lived in Amber Heard's apartment and that she was killed days after rumors started circulating that Amber used to throw satanic sex parties in that apartment, which, as far as I can tell, are rumors that were almost entirely just fabricated out of whole cloth by Depp supporters on Twitter after the trial. So she implies that Anne was killed because she knew too much about both Amber Heard and Britney Spears, two people who, as far as I know, didn't know each other 
had no interaction whatsoever. So <laughs> I don't really understand where she was coming from there. And it's pretty common for conspiracy theorists to project their own ideas about the cause of death of young and seemingly healthy people. Most of them have to do with the COVID vaccine. Like people were claiming that DMX died as a result of getting vaccinated or Bob Saget died. There was no evidence to support any of this. But I think the idea is that these are ostensibly young and healthy people. So people are just confused and they project whatever agendas they want. And I think in this case in particular, Anne was not healthy. Like we've discussed, like she struggled with addiction and mental illness very famously her entire life. And she was open about it. Yeah. And she was punished. She was publicly castigated as a result. And it doesn't seem like, like, in my opinion, the conversation should be less about Anne Heche's quote unquote mysterious death, because there isn't really any mystery here, in my opinion, from the fact that this woman was like, there's footage of her like driving very fast and erratically in her neighborhood and then crashing into this house. And she had substances in her system. That's the other part of it. There is like, along with these conspiracy theories, we should point out there is a lot of footage of ring cam footage of her car speeding down the street and also photos that had been taken of her earlier in the day when people had like met her and everything. She was not doing well that day. Yeah, there's no mystery here. This is a very, very sad story. And it's not sad because this woman was murdered to cover up the crimes of people she had nothing to do with. It's sad because she struggled with the same human problems that a lot of people unfortunately struggle with. And she and I feel like we should be talking more of like about what we as a culture could have done better to support her. Like she deserves the same reassessment that people like Paris Hilton or Britney Spears or Pamela Anderson have been getting. This is a woman who like needed a lot of help and she just like did not get it. She struggled with her demons. Have a little respect and also watch Six Days, Seven Nights because it's good. And watch Men in Trees because that show slapped. It was a good show. Great act. <laughs> Welcome to Himbo of the Week, where we celebrate empty-headed hotties. So one of the most exciting and confounding relationships in recent years, for me at least, was Rachel Bilson and Bill Hader. I didn't understand it, but I loved every second of it. I love that he brought her home to Oklahoma. Why? I don't know. Why was he dating Summer from the OC? No one will know. They were linked in 2019 before attending the Golden Globes together in early 2020. And people sort of, they didn't really talk about their relationship much while they were in it. Pair had technically met on the set of the to-do list, a movie no one saw. I certainly did not see it. I saw it. I saw it. I tried to cancel it. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the movies that I tried to cancel very early in my career. Well, that was back in 2013, and Bill Hader was married. He didn't get a divorce until 2018. And then all of a sudden, him and Rachel Bilson are back together. So the relationship fizzled almost as quickly as it entered our lives. They split during summer 2020. So Rachel Bilson has a podcast, which I did not realize, but she has a podcast called Broad Ideas. And she's used it to kind of randomly reveal different tidbits from the relationship. In an episode with Aubrey Plaza, she confirmed that they dated. In an episode with Mandy Moore, who has been mentioned now three times in this episode, so big episode <laughs> yes. for Mandy Moore, I guess. She said that she went through a really tough COVID breakup that, quote, hurt like a motherfucker. And now in a new episode of her podcast, she revealed that Bill Hader is packing. She has given us this information and I kind of love and hate that that is a sentence that I can say, but now we have it and I can't unsay it. So guest Tommy Dorfman asked Rachel what she missed most about Bill. And Rachel says, and I quote, his big dick. No further explanation, no indication of whether she's joking or not. She simply leaves us with this bomb and moves on. And now we have it and we can't, we can't go forward without it. So I personally honestly could have called this years ago. I feel like there's something about him I can't quite explain and don't care to understand, but I believe it. 
I believe it too, also because he dated Anna Kendrick and people were similarly, although I don't know how confirmed that is, but it, people were similarly confused about that because it was sort of like, well, they sort of framed that relationship and the Rachel Bilson relationship as like, oh, why is this hot girl like interested in dating this like goofy guy? Which I think is silly because I think Bill Hader is pretty freaking hot. Oh, he's so hot. He's so hot. He's just like, a, he's a weird, wildly talented, goofy looking man. Like women love that. So I now wonder if this will have like a Pete Davidson-esque effect on Bill's Hollywood dating life. Now that we have this information, like you can't go back from that. Like, will we see him and Kim date next? Like, it's just, I feel like it started a feeding frenzy for Pete once Ariana revealed that he was also well endowed. And I wonder what that's going to do for Bill Hader. So I think it's going to do a lot. I think it's, it's going to do a lot. So congrats on being our himbo of the week, Bill Hader. I hope to see you on Raya soon. And congrats to Rachel Bilson. You know why. Hold on. You've been scrolling for way too long now. Maybe you should get some food get some water, and then come back later. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we don't care which one. This podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, Brittany Spanos, and EJ Dixon. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Shelsey, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul. And produced by Jesse Cannon, with music by Brian DiMeglio. 